the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Greetings in the name of the Lord. Bishop James E. Collins, Senior Pastor of Eagle Heights Cathedral in Revere, Massachusetts, believes the Word of God is life to all who hear and receive it. Today, as you receive God's Word, know that not only are you receiving life, but your life will never be the same. For God's Word does not return void. It prospers in the thing for which He sends it. And He sends His Word to change our lives. This is your day for a life change. Now please join us for today's message. We just finished a series entitled Healing Wounded Emotions. I want to begin today a series entitled The Power of Forgiveness. And while this is a separate piece or a separate series, it is connected because I am finding out that you and I can never ever truly walk emotionally healthy if we don't learn to forgive. In order to the Holy Spirit to take us where he really wants us to go, I'm going to say it again today that I'm going to tell some gut-wrenching stories But very much they're going to be real stories. They will not be stories of people in this church, nor of people who have attended this church. But nevertheless, they are going to be real. There's a necessity of forgiveness. If we are not to only be emotionally healthy, but if we are to fulfill God's command, not just merely to forgive people of minor infractions, but of the most horrendous pains that have been caused to us, then we must understand today that you can't run. you got to be in church consistently. You need to hear the word and not reject the word. Because if you will be faithful, I am a witness that God does heal. I want you to go on a journey with me now. Her story came up in December of 2018, but it all happened many years ago when Mary Vincent was an innocent 15-year-old runaway. I want you to listen as I retell her story. Mary awoke from her nap. As her eyes began to focus, they fixed upon a road sign that rushed past the window van. It looked different somehow. The fog of sleep lifted and the 15-year-old realized east. They were heading east. She mustered up the courage and she turned to the driver. A paunchy, grandfatherly-looking man who had picked her up in Berkeley earlier that afternoon. And she said to him, look, you're going the wrong way and you know you're going the wrong way. Just an honest mistake, he insisted. Nothing to worry about. He'd just have to stop to relieve himself and then they would continue their journey to L.A. They drove for a short time when the van peeled off of the freeway. Down a side road that seemed to lead toward a canyon, Mary's instinct overwhelmed her naivety. The area was so isolated, and the road was deserted. She was a prisoner. That's when the nightmare began. I'm young, she thought. Her mind racing. I'm healthy. He's not. She could outrun him. She could get away. She could get help. But once he closed his door behind her and opened her door, 
He bent over toward her and then came the sledgehammer. Stay with me for a moment. This was 1978 and Mary Vincent had done what many teens had done before and still do today. She had run away from home. She was raised fast and loose in Las Vegas and she was the middle of seven children in a military family. According to a People article published 10 years later, she'd cut classes, she wore makeup, generally rebelled against her strict parents. And then came the day when Mary's sister warned her that their father was on the way home. He had a migraine and he was angry at her. And so she fled in a hurry. She later told the Seattle Post Intelligencer she ran to save her life. Little did she know that this one decision would not only change her life, but it would nearly cost her the life that she was running to save. Mary stayed with her boyfriend for a time in Sausalito, California, and then between nights, sleeping rough with an uncle in the small town of, town of Soquil. It was from there that she went and left the morning of September 28 to hitch the 620 km to her grandfather's place in Los Angeles. Standing with two hitchhikers and she was clutching a sign, a man pulled up in a blue van, empty but for a single bag. Yet he said he only had room for one person and that was her. Ignoring the warning signs, she climbed into the van and she said this in an interview on the television program that I was watching. I survived. I wasn't a daredevil or anything. I was just desperate to get home. I could not live another day out alone. I didn't think about what type of person he was or the situation. I was tired. That person, his name was Lawrence Larry Singleton. A 51-year-old merchant mariner with blue overalls, a bulging stomach, and a flat bulbous nose. One who later hit Mary Vincent twice with a sledgehammer tied her hands and raped her in the back of that van who then climbed naked back into the driver's seat and drove further down the road toward a canyon where he raped her repeatedly throughout the night and he forced her to swallow liquor. The hours passed slowly, terrified, exhausted, and searing pain. She pleaded with Singleton over and over throughout the ordeal, just set me free, please set me free, I won't tell. As the darkness began to shrink across the sky, he walked to the rear of the van and he returned with a toolbox. As he loomed over her, he pulled out a hatchet. He then screamed, you want to be free? I'll set you free. Then he swung. He struck her left arm first, severing it just below the elbow. As he hacked at her right, she picked, kicked him furiously, desperately screaming both for help and in agony. And in her interview, she said, I felt all the pain, the sharpness, the burning. And as the blood was leaking out of my body, I felt the ooze, hot ooze just flowing out of me. She said, I felt everything. I was aware of everything. By the time he finished his attack, Mary was limp but conscious. But Lawrence did not know this. Presuming she was dead, he dragged her body across the dirt. Then he threw her off a nine-meter cliff into a concrete culvert. Listen now. She should have died there. Half her blood had leached from her body and the rest was becoming toxic. But Mary heard a voice. She said that was in her mind, was in her heart, it was in her soul, it was in her spirit. And it said, don't go to sleep. He's going to do this again to somebody else and I can't let that happen. Let me do detour for a moment. There is a verse in the Bible that you and I need to really, really wrap our minds and our hearts around. 
It is Romans 8, 28, and it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Everybody listen to me. That scripture does not say that everything that happens to us is good, but the Bible says if you will trust God in spite of what you've gone through, no matter how bad it is, that God can pull something good out of that which is terrifyingly evil. Hold on to that scripture. We're going to tie it in at the end of this message. But I want you to hear her. Here's this young lady who had suffered one of the most devastating attacks that a human being could possibly suffer. And in her mind, she is saying, I must live. I must not die because if I do, he'll do this again. I want you to hear this. Here's a woman who has been severely attacked and yet she's thinking of someone else and not herself. She is saying, I must live. She summoned the energy and she rolled her elbows in the dirt to coat the wounds and stem the bleeding. And she scrambled back to the cliff. I'm talking about a 15-year-old girl. The sound of traffic guided her through the darkness toward the freeway where she walked naked with her arms raised, a court report said, so that the muscles and the blood would not fall out. A red convertible with two men inside, they sped off when she called out for help. Then came her saviors, two holiday makers who had gotten lost. They helped her into the truck and they raced to a phone to call paramedics. In March of 1979, a San Diego jury convicted Lawrence Singleton of kidnapping, mayhem, attempted murder, forcible rape, sodomy, and forced oral copulation. His teenage victim now fitted with prosthetic arms. She was there, and when he was done testifying and leaving that courthouse, she is just inches away from him, and she hears him say, if, the, if it's the last thing I do, I will finish the job. For all the evil that this man did, Singleton was slapped with a mere 14-year jail term. The maximum at the time that was available in California. And yet he just served eight years and he was paroled for good behavior. Back home in his native Florida where he had been in and out of jail, petty thief and psych wards attempted suicide. Singleton stabbed a 31-year-old worker and mother of three, Roxanne Hayes, to death in his living room in 1997. When the police arrived, they found him standing there, his shirt splattered in blood. Singleton died of cancer on death row in December of 2001. But listen to Mary. I needed to know what was in his dark soul. I felt I was robbed of that opportunity. But listen to me. Because Mary finds joy and hope in her art, she paints. And her children And she said, most of all, my faith. And in the second chance that she was given in the face of such evil, she refuses to let what the enemy meant for evil hold her hostage. Listen to me. There was a season when she said, there are times when it takes an hour to get myself together in the morning because I get so frustrated that I cannot stop crying. There was a season in her life where Mary said, I'll never get over this. There was a season when she said of men, I don't think too highly of them anymore. There was a season in her life where she was the victim. And then I watched one day a few years back in her interview when she was asked the question, you say you have forgiven Singleton. Why and how did you do that? And very simply, and I paraphrase, she said, but I understood that as long as I harbored unforgiveness and bitterness toward him, he would own my life. And I I would never be emotionally free. I had to set him free to set me free. In this room today, 
There are those of you who need to find the enablement to forgive people who have done far less but nonetheless things that wounded you. You're in this room today, and if you don't forgive them, you will never, ever reach the place of not only being emotionally healthy, you will never walk in the anointing and the promises that God has for you. Let me tell you what I found out about the power of forgiveness. It not only sets you free, it transforms your life. It causes you to be able to get to places you could not get to had you still been in bondage. Look with me at Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'm going to read it from the message. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive my brother or sister who hurts me? Seven. Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance and I'll pay you back, touched by his plea. The king let him off, erasing his debt. Listen closely to what Jesus says next. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellows who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and he begged, give me a chance and I'll pay you back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged and they brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you your entire debt. When you begged me for mercy, you shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and he put the screws to the man until he paid back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally. Everybody say unconditionally. Anyone who asks for mercy. Now, here's going to be the first temptation. The first temptation is going to be for you to say, well, Jesus said only if they ask for forgiveness. No, 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 no. Please understand that you need to understand Jesus was saying, if somebody asks for, vaca- for, for, for uh, forgiveness, you ought to all the more forgive them. But you need to understand that what Jesus was saying is that we ought to give a special grace to those who ask. But he's also not being exclusive. He's being inclusive. That means that even if people don't ask you for forgiveness, Jesus said you need to forgive them because if you don't, my father will not forgive you. Now, let me talk to you about some truths this morning, just some basic truths concerning forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is the ultimate measure of true Christian virtue. Forgiveness is the ultimate measure of true Christian virtue. Everybody look at me. You are not labeled a Christian because you come to church, you sit in church, you clap your hands, you get happy, you say amen, hallelujah. The true measure of you being a Christian is the virtue or the gift of being able to forgive. Watch now. I'm going to bombard you with some scriptures for a moment. Luke 6, 37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, virtually all saints and sinners, we all know the Lord's prayer. 
Every Catholic funeral that I've ever gone to, when I got there, somewhere in there, we, we quoted the Lord's Prayer. But I wonder, do we really hear what Jesus said after he tells us how and what to pray? He tells us what will hinder our prayers. How often we say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now we like everything and we even say, God, forgive us our trespasses that we forgive those who trespass against us. Let me ask you a question. Have you thought about the depth of what you're saying when you pray this prayer and then what Jesus follows up with in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6? He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Peter, a man who needed to know the riches of God's forgiveness. First Peter 4 and 8 said this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Look at me just for a moment. When we are not really walking in love, we see everything and every blemish on everybody, don't we? This Bible says when we're walking in love, we won't even see that sin. And if we see it, Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians 13. And and I wish every wedding I do just about, everybody wants 1 Corinthians 13. But I wish that they would get it and really think about it when we're saying it and not just have it out of tradition. Please understand, verse 5, when describing the greatest virtue, Paul said that love keeps no wrongs. And a message says, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love has a bad memory. It finds a way to forget the sins of others. It doesn't carry around a little black book in which the offenses are recorded. Somebody needs to hear the Holy Spirit this morning because you're carrying a little black book called your emotions. And in there it's filled with names and faces and a record of the hurt. And this day you need to be reminded that the greatest virtue and the greatest moment of forgiveness ever recorded in the annals of history on earth was when one hung on a cross a splintered wooden beam suspended between heaven and earth while wearing a thorny crown that was forced into his brow he was condemned by death by evil men who plotted to murder him they hated Jesus so much that they paid people to come and lie about him you need to understand that as he surveyed the howling cackling blood curdling screams of the mob that had assembled to cheer his suffering I'm talking about Jesus the Son of God, the living God, the only one who was pure, the only one who had never sinned, the only innocent one who walked upon this earth, this sin-cursed word. In his last dying moments, he raised up his swollen body. He grabbed deep down inside for one more ability to take a breath out of his lungs that were swollen with blood and out of that in his dying moment he uttered these words that still ring across the centuries he said father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing let me talk to you for a moment see y'all sitting there looking at me like okay are you hearing the holy ghost 
Those 11 tortured words hear the Holy Spirit. That day, they swept away every shabby excuse that you and I could ever come up with for not forgiving those that have wounded us. When I read those words, it thrills me and it chills me at the same time. Because when I read those words, they bring to me and they uncover the unrighteousness of my own heart. And it shows it for what it really is. They ripped the cover off of my unrighteousness. And I know that in the natural, some of you have a right to be wounded. But you got to get to the place where you understand you are not first natural. Your spirit, then soul. And their thin body. Your pain is so real. And it seems you need to justify yourself not to forgive. And I know what some of you have thought. If the person who hurt me would just show some remorse. If they would just sow some some sorrow, then I might be able to forgive them. Listen to me very closely. Let me tell you what I know. Number one, that hardly ever happens. People will unjustifiably attack you. They will wound you. They, and barring a miracle, let me tell you something right now. Even when they recognize that what they did is wrong, they are not going to tell you. You might get somebody to come to you and confess that they hurt you when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that may not even happen then. When people hurt you, they're not going to tell you. Let me tell you the second thing I know. If that's what it takes for you to forgive them. That forgiveness will not be genuine. Because listen to me, church. Forgiveness is not based on what the intruder does. It's based on what you do. Go back to, with me to the foot of that cross. Have you ever really thought about this? There was not one person who was sorry who even said, I'm sorry, as he uttered those 11 words, the majority laughed, they mocked, they cheered, they jeered. There were people who were passing by on their way to lunch, and they looked up at Jesus and said, if you are really the son of God, then why don't you get yourself down from here? One stood on his right, one on his left. The one on his left said, okay, Mr. Big Shot, why don't you get down, and when you get into glory, take me with you. The people who put him to death, they were pleased with themselves. Pilate pulled out his wash bin and he washed his hands, signifying I had nothing to do with it. And quite frankly, I don't care. Have you imagined the Jewish leaders? Their hatred for him was so fierce. It was irrational. Some of you got people that hate you. You don't know why. It's irrational. It didn't make sense. They hated him so much. They were not only happy to see him die. They took great joy and comfort in his suffering. I'm describing in some parts a picture of what some of you have been through. People hurt you. And they enjoyed it. Every moment. Let me talk to you for a minute. Some of you thought you had friends that you found out weren't friends and you were saying that their friends are like this, then I don't need those kind of friends. Because when you needed them and when all hell came to bear in your life, those people said, I will be with you always. But the moment you got troubled, they disappeared. Some of them even did like Judas. They turned on you and they helped people to try and take you down. 
But listen to me very closely. Evil was more prevalent in the air at that time in history than any other time. The forces of darkness had done their work. The Son of God would soon be in a tomb. And nobody walked by and said, I was wrong. This is a mistake. We are such fools. And yet he looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Everybody look at me. When people intentionally wound you, pray for them. Because they really don't know what they're doing. See, you need to talk to yourself for a moment and say, I'm God's anointed. The Bible says don't touch the anointed. And if you really believe that in your God's anointed, you'll be able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because there is a law of God that was written before men said it. And that is that what goes around really goes around. you got to get to the place where you're able to say it. The people who hurt you deliberately and repeatedly. You got to get to the place where you are able to say, I forgive them, the ones that hurt me intentionally. Listen now, you got to get to the place where there are some people who hurt you casually and thoughtlessly. Forgive them. For forgiveness is the ultimate measure of true Christian virtue, number two. Forgiveness is so difficult for many and most Christians because of a faulty belief system. We're going to get to the place where we're not only going to learn about the power of forgiveness, but what forgiveness actually is. And how we can get to the place where we truly forgive those who hurt us. We must because Jesus is very, very clear in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. That if we don't forgive, God will not forgive us. Listen to me, church. The church has danced around this. There is no way to dance around and gloss over forgiveness. I heard one preacher say, well, that's kind of what Jesus meant. Look at me. Jesus never kind of means anything. If he said it, he meant it. Proverbs 4, 5 through 7 says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all thy getting, get understanding. Sometimes wisdom is to learn what something is by first learning what it is not. And there's been a lot of fog growing up in a preacher's home and in the church. There's been a lot of fog on what forgiveness really is. You have been listening to Bishop James E. Collins. To purchase a copy of today's message, please visit us at ehconline.org or call 781-284-0670. It has been a pleasure bringing you the Word of God today. If you are in need of prayer or looking for a church home, please visit us at 1075 Revere Beach Parkway in Revere, Massachusetts. Our service times are 9 a.m. and 1115 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights. God bless you until we meet again. This is Bishop James E. Collins of Beyond the Walls Radio Broadcast, inviting you to join us every Sunday on WEZE AM 590 at 1215 p.m. or visit our Eagle Heights Cathedral Facebook page streaming of our services. In addition, tune in to listen daily Monday through Friday on WEZE AM 590 at 4 p.m. or by podcast 24-7 at WEZERadio.com for a word of encouragement in these days of uncertainty.